Last year, Prince Charles, the ex-Prince of Wales, he received a massive inheritance. The details of this have not been made fully public, but Forbes, uh, that business magazine, they've, they've valued this inheritance at something like $442 billion. Now, some of this inheritance Charles will own privately, some he'll just hold in trust as the, the new British monarch. And that inheritance includes strips of land, regal estates, rare jewels, opulent palaces, beautiful castles, billions in investments, incredible paintings, and other priceless treasures. Now, in a sense, that had been promised him ever since he was born, more than 70 years ago. So why did Charles inherit all of these things last year? Well, I'm sure you know the reason. It was because of the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. It was her death that released this inheritance for her son. And in a sense, that's like each one of us. I know it's often difficult for us to grasp, but if we have put our faith in Jesus, then we too have received an incredible inheritance. One that's far greater than what Charles received. But like him, this inheritance came through death. Not the peaceful death of an elderly parent in a beautiful castle in Scotland, but the horrific death of one who was nailed to a cross outside of Jerusalem and left to die in agony and shame. This is something that that many of the original readers of the book of Hebrews had lost sight of. Maybe it was because of the persecution that they were suffering. Or maybe it was because they missed the sights and the sounds and the experience of the religion that they'd left behind. But whatever the reason, some of them were being tempted to to turn back to the Judaism that they'd come from. Back to the temple, back to the Levitical priesthood and all the sacrifices that they used to depend on to make themselves right with God. And so the writer of Hebrews wrote this letter to show them that the inheritance that they had in Christ was better. Far better. And we've already looked at so much of that, how they had a better salvation, with a better rest, based on better promises that brought them into a better covenant, mediated by a better priesthood. But this week we're going to look at how this was all based on a better sacrifice. That in Christ they had a better sacrifice. And so we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11 to 28. And Rose is going to come and she's going to read her passage this morning. So Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11.
but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, he is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts to lead that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because the will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of cows together with water, scarlet wool and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Sorry. That everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year, with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. Thus he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Thank you very much, Ros. The last time we were studying the book of Hebrews, we looked at the tabernacle, that earthly sanctuary that Moses set up according to God's plan. And we were looking at that initial room, the holy place, and the table and the lampstand that was in that room. And then that's where the Levitical priests, the the descendants of Aaron, they ministered to represent the people before God day after day. But then there was that inner room, 
the most holy place that contained the table and the, the lamp, uh, sorry, that contained the, the altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant. But only the, the high priest entered that inner room and that only once a year and never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. So this tabernacle was a remarkable gift to the nation of Israel. It was a place where they could meet with God and experience His grace. But it was limited. It only provided restricted access to God. And only for some people and only for some of the time. And ultimately, it wasn't the real thing. The sanctuary was only an earthly imitation, a model, a copy and shadow of what is in heaven, as chapter 8 verse 5 says. But Jesus, our high priest, is better. Because he didn't enter an earthly sanctuary. Instead, verse 11 tells us, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not part of this creation. Jesus didn't come to minister in a limited, restricted, and earth-bound sanctuary. As verse 24 says, Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the heavenly one. Instead, he entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. So the sacrifice of Jesus was greater because it was presented in a greater place. He entered the actual most holy place. He went there to represent us in the ultimate presence of God. But his sacrifice wasn't just greater because it was presented in a, in a greater place. It was also because it came at a far greater price. He did not enter by, the, by means of the blood of goats and calves. That's what the high priest did on the Day of Atonement. He sacrificed a bull for his own sins and a goat for the sins of the people and he took the blood and he sprinkled the blood of those sacrifices on the atonement cover the, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant in that room in that inner room the, the most holy place this was a costly sacrifice because it required the death of an animal but its value is nothing in comparison with the price of the sacrifice that Jesus made. Because he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. In an act that expressed the greatest love ever. Jesus gave himself for us. He laid down his life for us. He suffered, surrendered himself to cruel men who falsely accused him, 
unjustly condemned him, cruelly tortured him, stripped him naked, nailed him to a piece of wood, and hung him up to die in the most brutal and horrific way. But that wasn't all that was happening on that cross. That was only the the visible, that was only the the physical sufferings of Jesus. On the cross, verse 15 of our reading says that Jesus died as a ransom. He died as a ransom. There in those three hours of darkness, Jesus paid the price that was required to set us free. He took upon himself our sin, our guilt, our rebellion, and he accepted the condemnation that we deserved. And he died in our place. As Isaiah 53 says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. That's why it was necessary for Jesus to die. The wages of our sin was death. It's not just physical death, but spiritual death and eternal separation from God. And in a way that our minds just can't comprehend. Jesus took upon himself the blame of billions of sinners and he experienced the eternal hell of being separated from his Father that we all deserved. I think this is what what explains his cry from the cross when he quoted Psalm 22, the the, the psalm that we're reading today in our reading. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in those moments he was experiencing the loss, the pain, the emptiness of hell for all of us. This is why Jesus' sacrifice is so much greater and all the sacrifices, all the thousands of sacrifices that the Jewish priests made. Its value is infinitely greater. Because it's the blood of Jesus himself. But this is also why Jesus' sacrifice has greater power than all those other sacrifices. The sacrifices of the Old Covenant, they had an impact. As we thought about the start uh, with, with Prince Charles, a will requires the death of the one who made it before it's brought into force. Someone has to die before a will takes effect. So, verse 18 says, the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. It required a death. 
that was the purpose of those animal sacrifices. When those calves died as a symbolic substitute and their blood was sprinkled on the law and the people, it ratified, it made legally valid that agreement between God and his people. This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep, Moses said. And then Moses, verse 21, sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. That blood was purifying that earthly sanctuary, setting it apart so it could be used as a meeting place between God and men. But this animal blood didn't just purify the tabernacle. It also ceremonially cleansed the people. Look at verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Those sacrifices dealt with the ceremonial uncleanness of the nation of Israel. They enabled sinners, those sinners, to to approach God. To worship Him and to experience His presence to some extent. To experience His peace and His protection, His provision. And this is all required because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. If the wages of sin is death, then there's no forgiveness without that wage being paid to some extent. But if the blood of bulls and goats could do that, then how much more, verse 15 says, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? If the animal sacrifices could ratify that old covenant, could purify that earthly sanctuary, could deal with the ceremonial uncleanness of the people, then we shouldn't be surprised that the precious blood of the perfect Son of God could impact our lives in a far deeper way. So the blood of Jesus did not bring us into that old covenant. That old covenant was weak. It was limited. Because it was based on a law that none of us could keep. Instead, Christ is the mediator, verse 15, of the new covenant. That amazing new agreement between God and us. That we looked at in chapter 8, if you remember. This is what we remember every time we take communion, just like we've done uh, just now. When Jesus took the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And the blood of Jesus didn't just purify an earthly sanctuary like the blood of the animal sacrifices did. Instead, he purified the earthly things themselves. The heavenly things themselves, sorry, verse 23. 
making heaven accessible to his new covenant people. And the blood of Jesus didn't just make us ceremonially ceremonially clean. It didn't just make us outwardly clean. Instead, Jesus died to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. He dealt with sin so radically, cleansing us from it, setting us free from its power and its penalty, that we can be completely forgiven. Declared righteous in God's sight. Adopted into God's family so that we can serve the living God. That's the power of the cross. Through Jesus' death, sinners like you and me can be totally transformed, fully saved, wonderfully set free, so that we can become God's new covenant people. And we can draw close to Him. Even although we know we fall short so many times. Even although we know we mess up all the time. Even although we know we're not worthy of this. This is the power of the cross. Taking filthy rotten sinners and making them perfect in God's sight. And so if we put our faith in Jesus then we can experience that intimacy with God. We can experience His presence. We can experience His love and acceptance. And we can experience that forever. Because the sacrifice of Jesus has greater permanence. Jesus is not like those Levitical priests, those Jewish priests within Judaism. They to repeat the same sacrifices again and again, day after day after day after day. But verse 25 says, Jesus did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way that the high priest enters the most holy place every year. As we'll see next week, The fact that these sacrifices had to be repeated actually proves, it demonstrates that they could never make anyone perfect. If Jesus' sacrifice had been like that, then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. Verse 26. He'd have to die on the cross again and again and again. But Jesus' sacrifice is better. Look at verse 27. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. We know that we've only got one life to live. And then after that is judgment. In the same way Jesus He gave his one life, suffering under the judgment that we deserved to take away our sin forever. 
So verse 26 says this glorious verse. He has appeared once for all. At the end of the ages. To do away with sin. By the sacrifice of himself. Jesus came. At the end of the ages. His ministry was the climax of all that the Old Testament was pointing towards. And so just as we saw at the beginning of this letter, that Jesus is is God's final word to this world, so here, Jesus sacrifices God's final answer to the problem of our sin. His death on the cross has dealt with our sin forever. As verse 12 says, he has obtained eternal redemption. We don't need anything else. No other sacrifice. No other saviour. No other sanctuary. No other ceremony. No other priest. Jesus sacrificed himself once for all. Doesn't need to be repeated. Doesn't need to be continued. Doesn't need to be added to or improved upon. It is sufficient for us, for us all. It is enough. Just before Jesus died on the cross, he declared, It is finished. That word there is, it is paid in full. Our sin debt was paid in full. Nothing is outstanding. Nothing more is needed. We cannot add to this. We don't need to add to this. That's why this morning, we don't need a mass. We don't need an altar. We don't need a specialised priesthood. We don't need a miracle to transform bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus. Because Jesus has done everything. Everything that is needed to deal with our sin. And to bring us in to a relationship with God. The cross is enough. So all we need to do is to trust in Him. All we need to do is put our faith in Him. And if we have, then we will receive the promised eternal inheritance. Verse 15. We will be welcomed into God's kingdom. We will be adopted into God's family. We will be sealed by God's Spirit. We will be held by God's hand. We will be filled with God's love. We will be forever guaranteed a place in God's house. Dwelling forever in God's presence. And so Jesus is coming back one day. Not to bear our sin again. Not to try to fix what he didn't fully succeed in. 
Not to pay for our transgressions or make up for our the things that we have made, made a mess of. But to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. This is the better inheritance that any prince has ever received. It's worth more than any investment portfolio. It's more precious than all the jewels and artwork in this world. And it will last forever, longer than any earthly title or castle or palace or estate. And this is what the original readers of this letter failed to realize. They needed to reject the temptation to turn back to the Judaism that they'd come from. Because the sacrifices of Jesus were so much better than all the sacrifices of the Jewish priests. They didn't need any of that. They didn't need any of that ritual or or ceremony. They didn't need to follow the rules and the regulations because Jesus had done it all for them. The sacrifice of Jesus was presented in a greater place. Not on earth, but in heaven. It was paid at a greater price. Not the death of animals, but the death of God's Son. And it produces a greater power. Not just making us ceremonially clean, but to set us completely free from our sin. And it provides a greater permanence. So we don't need a repeated ritual week after week, day after day, year after year. Because we have an eternal redemption. This is all that we need. If we understand the reality of the perfect sufficiency of the cross of Christ, And we don't need to struggle with any shame or guilt anymore. And we won't be tempted to turn to religious rituals to try and to work our way to God. Instead, we'll be able to live in the freedom and joy of our new covenant relationship with God. And we can live every day to serve Him as we wait for the return of our wonderful Lord and Savior.